0: Well, if you have a Bible, take it and turn to the book of Habakkuk. We've been in this book uh, for a few weeks now, and we're in chapter 2. We're looking at verses 1 through 4, which are really central to uh, this letter, this book. Um, as you turn there, I want to, uh, I want to tell you a-, a story, and the story has to do with me driving home um, last fall, and I'm heading home. I'm supposed to leave the next day. Pam is supposed to go pick up friends at LAX two days later. And as I'm driving home from this meeting, all of a sudden I see on my dashboard the check engine light. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but, but immediately I decided, like, well, I've got to get this thing fixed. But my heart kind of sank. Because when the check engine light comes on, especially when your car is not young, um, you always wonder like, how much is this gonna be? It could be $6, it will never be $6, it could be $6,000, it will probably be $6,000. And to make matters worse, this was the first time that we were getting this car teched on, so I was at the, I was beholden to whatever mechanic was willing to take it in the next two days to make sure that it was ready for Pam when I was out of town and she could pick her friends up from LAX. And so I, uh, I take it in, you know, I drop it off, I, I look at this guy and I'm thinking like, you know, I'm just looking across the counter, I'm like, you're the person who's gonna take all my money. Okay. And then uh, after I leave, you know, I'm like beholden to him, he calls and you know, you get the call and he's like, yeah, I'll call you when I figure out what's wrong. Cause the check engine light. Could be anything. Um, I've had the check engine light go off when I didn't put the gas cap all the way on, like correctly, right? Uh, So I I get the call. And you know that moment, that feeling when you get the call and they're about to respond to what's wrong with your car? Everybody knows that feeling, right? You know that feeling? That's where Habakkuk's at. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He's bracing. Bracing for God's response. So here... Hear God's word from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out and see what he that is God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. Well, we are catching Habakkuk right here in this position of bracing for God's response. He has gone up in the watchtower. You see, God has replied to him and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of the injustice in Judah, and I'm going to do so by bringing the Babylonians. And Habakkuk said, wait, God, no, that doesn't make any sense. And he lodges this uh, this argument against God and against God's plan. He says, God... This does not align with your purposes of your covenant, and this doesn't align with your purposes in your creation. And so he makes his defense, he's giving his his closing argument, if you will. The language here is, is law court language. And then he waits because God gets the last word. And so he goes to the watchtower, a defensive place, to wait and see, to see how God will respond to him. And what is the response that God gives? Habakkuk is bracing for. Well, the response that God gives in the text that we have just read, it's a vision. It's a revelation. It's a promise about what he's going to do in the future. God's response comes in the form of a promise about a future revelation. And here's what I want you to see about this this promised revelation. First, God's revelation is sure. Look at verse 3. For still the time awaits, it's appointed time. For still the vision awaits, it's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Surely it will come. It will not delay. So Habakkuk does not know much about this vision. He doesn't know about its timing. Well, what he does know is that it is sure. Surely it will come. It will not delay. And that is true in spite of all appearances. Notice that in verse 3 he says, it will not lie. Why does he have to say it will not lie? Because it appears to lie. Because it appears as if God is not going to keep his word when he looks out at circumstances around him and when he sees what's going on it, it, it could appear as if God cannot and will not keep his word and so, um, and so there's a tendency at this point to, to wonder is it sure or not or is God going to let me down do you remember that TV show Lost did any of you lose seven years of your life watching that I did so Lost was this TV show and like it was this show that millions of people were watching and there were lost parties and you all gather around. And it always left you with these like kind of cliffhanger moments at the end and and like pulled you from one episode to the next, to the next, to the next and it kept introducing all these kind of themes and you're going, how are they going to tie all this together? How are they possibly going to tie all this together? And people like me are going they're going to do it. J.J. Abrams is going to do it. I'm going to watch to the end. He's going to do it. But some people are like, no, I'm done watching the lost. There's no way that they can actually put all this stuff together. And then we got to the end and we got to the last episode and the big revelation. And you know what happened? He didn't pull it all together. There were like so many loose ends and it made no sense. And I watched the whole thing right to the end. God's revelation is not going to be like that. You're not going to get to the end. It will not lie. He will not let you down. Surely, surely it's true in spite of all experiences. And it's also true in spite of its timing. Look, he says in verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. See, Habakkuk doesn't know when it's going to come, but he knows it's in the future. He's given this vision so that he who reads it may run with it. I think it means run into the future. This is for a future day. But what he does know is that there is a time and it's an appointed time. It's the same language that God uses when he says To Abraham and Sarah that their son Isaac will be born at the appointed time. In other words, it's according to God's timetable. Not Abraham's, not Sarah's, not Habakkuk's, not yours, not mine, but God's. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being on someone else's timetable. I like to kind of have things figured out. I like to know what time it's going to be and how it's going to happen. And you know what? I'm not alone because do you remember? Do you remember the last thing the disciples asked Jesus before his ascension? Is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it at this time? Is this the time? And what does Jesus say? It is not for you to know times and seasons. It is not for you to know times and seasons, but you are my witnesses. It's not for you to know when. You just need to know that. And you need to know that you're a part of that. So go. But we want to know times and seasons, don't we? I want to know times and seasons. Because if I have times and seasons, then I feel like I'm in control. And I can actually manage and plan and figure stuff out. And you know what we're finding? Man, isn't this a hard time to want to be in control of time? isn't isn't a pandemic a hard time to want to be in control of time when we can hardly make plans two weeks in advance but see God doesn't tell us when or how God just simply tells us that he doesn't give us a timeline that we can master rather he gives us the master of time whom we, we can rely on this is what Habakkuk is to learn, and this is what this means for you and for me that God's vision is sure, and it's sure in spite of all appearances, and it's sure in spite of the fact that we don't have a definite timetable on it. It means this that no matter what you're facing, the Christian can say, Truly, surely, this too shall pass. You get up with chronic pain in the morning. You have a very difficult and challenging and unsatisfying job. You feel unsatisfied relationally. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. And you can also say that through the love of God, our Savior, all manner of things will be well. Because surely it will come to pass. And so, some of you, you, you wake up and you struggle with depression. You say, when is this going to end? Some of you, 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 you struggle with, with, with real, real tensions in your family that are just heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. And you say, when is this going to end? Is it ever going to end? You, you say, when is, is the hole in my heart going to be filled when will I stop being lonely whether I'm in marriage or out of a marriage this too shall pass Through the love of God our Savior all manner of things will be well because this promise this vision, this revelation it is sure so if it seems slow if God seems slow, wait for it it will surely come it will not delay it cannot lie second thing that I want you to note about God's revelation is not just that it's sure, but it's also significant. Notice that in verse two, he tells Habakkuk to take the vision, write it down and put it on tablets so that he may read, who reads it may run with it. Now now that might seem like nothing until you realize that the only time in the Bible, the only time in the Bible where someone is told to write on two tablets is at Sinai when God tells Moses to write his covenant law on two tablets. And if you know anything about Sinai and if you know anything about Israel and you know anything about the covenant law, this was like their marriage certificate. This was the thing that that showed them that, that God was their God, that he was in relationship with them and how to live with them. It was so important that they put it in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is like Israel's firebox. When we moved to California, we got a firebox, right? Our firebox holds some of our most precious and personal and important information. That's where we keep it, you know. In case our house gets on fire, I guess I will come back to the wreckage and find the firebox. I may just never, but if I want to, that's the thing that I am going to keep. It's in the firebox. You know, it's things like birth certificates and and passports and the Ark of the Covenant was Israel's fires Israel's firebox. And. The two tablets from Sinai were put in there, and God is saying, the revelation that I'm about to give you, it rivals Sinai. It's as important as Sinai. It is at least as important as Sinai, and I would argue that it's more important than Sinai, because the revelation that God is about to give Habakkuk, well, it's the answer to all Habakkuk's problems. Let me ask you a question. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You don't consider yourself a Christian. We're so glad that you're here. And you're welcome here. And we want you to be here. And we exist for you. So we're glad you're here. I want to ask you something. What if God had an answer and had revealed an answer to your deepest problems and your greatest problems? Would you investigate it? Would you value it? I, I mean, it, wouldn't that be something that's worth actually checking out and considering? Because that's Christianity's claim that God has revealed the answer to yours and to my biggest problems and our deepest desires. If you're a Christian and you've come to believe that in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, God has provided the answer to life's biggest problems and our deepest desires, let me ask you: how significant is that answer? Is that revelation to your life? Is it in your firebox? Is it something that is so important, that is at the central, it's at the center of your life, that when everything else is crumbling and everything else is going astray, you hang on to that when you can't make plans, when you don't know what's going to happen in the future, when, when work is, is, well, you don't know what's going to happen with work. Do you hold on to the revelation of God and Jesus Christ? Do you read it? Do you value it? Do you talk about it? Do you come to worship and rehearse it because you say, this is it. This is significant. This is the most important thing and everything else pales. See, is the living bread more important than lunch? Is the breath of life more important than AC? Is the reconciler of all things more important than recreation? That's my question. As those who have been given this revelation, we need to treat it and value it as we should, as significant. God's revelation is sure, God's revelation is significant, but finally, ultimately, God's revelation is salvation. Look at verse 3 again. The revelation, God says, hastens to the end. The end. What does that mean? That word, the end, is a pregnant word. It's a word that that the prophets used to talk about the final stage of God's saving purposes when God would come to rule and to judge the earth in righteousness and save the world and make all things new and all things right and all things good. This is what this is what Habakkuk is pointing to or being pointed to. It, it, it's Psalm 98. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Let them sing before the Lord for he comes he comes to judge the earth he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity so sing because God is coming and he's coming with a cosmic solution for your problems and my problems and everyone's problems see this is not a revelation that's just for Israel it's not just for Habakkuk and the righteous at 600 BC it's not just for it's not just for Israel. For all time. It's for everyone. It's for you, it's for me, it's for all. This is the solution. It's a cosmic solution that is so great that when God reveals this solution, His glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, it goes on to say. You know, it's interesting that in the old Greek versions, We call it the Septuagint, but really old Greek versions of this text. Which, by the way, our old Greek versions, or some of them are older than our Hebrew versions. So that's something that's interesting and significant. In the old Greek versions, though, it doesn't say, surely it will come, surely it will not delay. In the old Greek versions, it actually says, surely he will come. Surely he will not delay, which is one way in which the Hebrew could be read. In other words, what Jews from very, very early on at least interpreted this to mean is not just that God was revealing salvation, but that God was revealing a savior, a deliverer, a son, Abraham's son, David's son. A son who would come at the appointed time. And this is exactly how the author of Hebrews reads it. In Hebrews 10.37 he says. Yet a little while and the coming one will come. He will not delay. He is God's revelation. He is the one who came. He is the one who continues to come. In the preaching of his word. In the administration of his sacraments, he comes here tonight, right now, before you. He is the ever-coming one, and he is the one who is to come. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. He will not delay. It hastens to the end. Revelation twenty two twenty. And so how do we respond to this? Would well, you know how the author of Hebrews goes on. With Habakkuk 2, 4. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Do you want to live? Do you want to live through this pandemic? Do you want to live through everything else that life might throw at you? Now, I'm not just talking about surviving. I mean living, flourishing. Do you want to know how to do that? my righteous one shall live by faith trust trust the one who was and is and is to come trust Jesus Christ the coming one for he is sure there is nothing sure in the world right now than this that Christ has died Christ has risen and Christ will come again you can take that to the bank it doesn't matter what appearances look like and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that we don't have God's timeline. He will come. He will come in God's time. Trust not only that Jesus is sure but trust that he is significant. He is your life. He is life itself and it's in him that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Trust that he is salvation. Isaiah 12:2 says surely God is my salvation I will trust and not be afraid the Lord the Lord himself he has become my salvation So trust trust that Jesus is sure trust that he is significant trust that he is salvation and you will live by faith you will live Lord, we ask that you would grant us and continue to grant us by Holy Spirit this faith. That we would be so resolutely sure casting ourselves on you. That we can endure and more than endure. Be more than conquerors and flourish as those who know you. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.